goodness to us. Amen. You may be seated this evening. So good to see you in the house of the Lord on a Wednesday night as September winds down and autumn uh, is about to commence. It's great to see the Heiser family. God bless you. Let's give them a great big hand. Back home again in Ohio from Georgia. And we're very thankful that they are here tonight. We're thankful to have all of our guests. Let's give all of our guests a great big hand. We're so thankful that you are here. Amen. And uh, we're going to look directly into the Word of the Lord, and we're going to uh, begin where we have been focusing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, we're dealing with the subject of blameless. And just to give you a little bit of a foundation, uh, if you are joining us uh, mid uh, mid-series, uh, just to give you a little bit of a, a, a background, uh, what a big word and intimidating word, blameless, when you consider the fact that there is plenty of blame to go around in this room for various offenses against God, against one another, and so to understand that we are called of God to be blameless before him. That is a daunting task. And frankly, it is an impossible task to your flesh and to my flesh. So when we're talking about blamelessness, our only hope for blamelessness is in Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians chapter 5, and we have begun at the 23rd verse and continue there. The very God of peace sanctify you completely or holy, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he was writing to the church in Thessalonica. So noting that he was writing to the church, this lets us know that he was writing to people who were blameless because they had identified with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is what we do when we repent of our sins and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. We come into agreement with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we call it the plan of salvation. But he notes, he says something very, very significant here. He says that he prays our whole spirit, our whole soul, and our whole body will be preserved blameless. Now, if you've lived for God long enough, you have learned that it is possible to come into agreement with the plan of God's salvation and then after the fact, take up the old man and, and begin to enter into fleshly ways of acting and thinking and doing. In fact, it is even possible to go back and sin again. And so we need to understand what it means to be preserved blameless. And so we're going to talk about that. Blameless, preserved blameless into the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You find where blamelessness is is violated where blamelessness is breached in the 22nd verse of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where the apostle Paul says abstain from all appearance of evil the reason that he says this is because this 
is where blamelessness gets conflicted in us. Here we've repented of our sins. We've been baptized in Jesus' name. We've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. We're trying to live an overcoming life. We're trying to let the Spirit of the Lord lead us and guide us. And all of a sudden, we enter back into evil ways, evil thoughts, evil actions. And it, and it robs us of that innocence that the Lord had placed upon us. So, so the key, ladies and gentlemen, is to abstain from all appearance of evil. But that's easier said than done. And I know I could get a hearty amen. It's easier said than done. It's easier to get up and rail on it from the pulpit. But, but that's not what Paul was doing in 1 Thessalonians 5.22. He wasn't just randomly spitting out a useful admonition, abstain from all appearance of evil. He had built a foundation that was solid. And, and if we'll follow it, we will be able to abstain from all appearance of evil. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Now, now, notice what he said in one place. In the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul said this. And this is, this is amazing and for many unthinkable. He said that if you walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And so people who are continually struggling with the lusts of their flesh, and those lusts of the flesh, they, are, they vary across a wide spectrum of things. They can range from, from lusts of the flesh in ways that immediately come to our mind, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. And then, of course, the pride of life is replete with lusts of flesh. The pride of life, the lust for power, the lust for, uh, for, for the praise and applause of, of men, the lust for... Uh, other people's possessions, covetousness, and boasting. These are lusts also of the flesh. And so if you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill these lusts of the flesh. The way to overcome the lusts of the flesh is to walk in the Spirit. Now you think to yourself as I say that, uh, how am I going to accomplish that? That's what I'm trying to say this is not so much an accomplishment of yours as it is an accomplishment of the Holy Ghost. Learning how to let the Holy Ghost lead your life and guide your decisions and your thoughts. And that's really what we're going to be talking about tonight. The first lesson we spoke from the 16th verse, rejoice evermore. A calm wellness, it is well with my soul. 17, pray without ceasing. Keep on praying. Don't stop praying. Pray through the day. Let your spirit be in constant communion with the Lord. Verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This is a foundation that the Apostle Paul was building that if we will let it be built in us, then we will successfully abstain from all appearance of evil. And when we do it with this foundation... We won't have a haughty spirit about it. If we do it with this foundation, we won't have a self-righteous attitude about it. Sometimes when we do something good in God, we, uh, we like people to know about it. We want a little praise for it. We want somebody to come along, pat us on the back, tell us how holy we are. But if you're truly holy, you know you're not holy. He is holy. 
And, of course, you've heard me talk about uh, humility. I, I remember Brother Tenney speaking about humility and saying that humility is such an interesting virtue because it's the, it's the one that the moment you know you've got it, you don't have it anymore. It's like the guy that got up and, and, and boasted of how humble he was and how proud he was of, of the humility he had managed to achieve in his life. And so these are, these are oxymorons. We, we, we know that it is a work of the Lord that gives us the ability to abstain from all appearance of evil. Listen, be honest about who you are. Look in the mirror and, and readily accept the fact that you, in your flesh, are unable to accomplish the things that the Lord has required of you. What then does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, love mercy, Walk humbly before the Lord your God. Amen. Walk humbly before the Lord your God. So tonight we're going to speak on a very important part of this, this matter of abstaining from all appearance of evil and preserving blamelessness before God. And it is this, verse number 19, quench not the spirit. Look at your neighbor say, don't quench the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. I remember years ago, uh, there was at a general conference, there was a powerful, powerful Holy Ghost filled service. And there was a, a dramatic move of God. And uh, I mean, it was powerful. And there were so many people who were just, just, just moved demonstrably by the Holy Ghost. And folks were slain in the spirit, people getting up out of wheelchairs. Uh, people were just mightily moved of God. I remember the man who, who, who really kind of instigated the whole thing. He was playing his saxophone, and then he, he was playing the beautiful song, uh, uh, Down From His Glory. And, uh, and when he pulled the saxophone away, he started to sing the song. And he didn't have an exceptionally beautiful voice. Uh, it was on key, but it wasn't. there was a reason he was playing the saxophone. And... But when he sang that out, that sincerity of his praise filled that auditorium and the Holy Ghost fell on all of us. And for 45 minutes, we were enraptured by the power of the Holy Ghost. And it was a beautiful moment. But my grandfather was the general superintendent. And for years now, uh, there had been a, 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 that particular service where that the the Spirit of the Lord would move and, and people would leave and there wouldn't be any preaching. Well, I could, I could tell by the look on Grandpa's face, we are going to hear some preaching. Uh, we can shout all we want. We can dance, fall out in the Holy Ghost, speak in tongues, get up out of wheelchairs. But we're going to hear some preaching. And I knew it was going to happen. And I saw him call Brother Anthony Mangan over and, and kind of pointed around different places. Next thing I know, the ushers were mobilized and people were picked up off the floor and sent back to their seats and... We were getting ready to hear the word. And I remember, I remember them calling a good brother up to sing a song. And, and, and his bringing him up was the way they were going to kind of settle the service back down. He was going to sing the song. And I got to thinking, you know, that's a unique ministry to have. To be the guy they need to come quench the spirit. <laughs> brother, if we've ever needed you, we need you now. We need you to come up here. Just stop the Holy Ghost from moving any further. No, he, he did such a wonderful job, and, uh, but it struck me so humorously. But the, 
that, of course, is actually a way of letting the Holy Ghost move freely into the, the preaching of the word. And, of course, this is why the Apostle Paul tells us to let all things be done decently and in order so that the word can have full effect and so that the spirit can move as the spirit needs to move. But there is this possibility of quenching the Holy Ghost in a person's life. The Holy Ghost is active. The Spirit of God is active. Uh, the first place in the Bible that we read or know anything about the Spirit of God, we're going to look at it, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form, and the earth was void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And here is our first encounter with the Spirit of God in the Bible. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Have you ever heard anybody make the statement that uh, I need God to move on this situation? You've heard the saints speak in times past when they had a prayer request. Just ask that the Lord will move upon their heart. Just ask that the Lord will move upon these matters. Whether we know it or not, we are describing the work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is a moving uh, entity, and, and, and it is an invisible entity. But God, when He created the earth and, and formed the earth and, and developed it as He did, He gave us some understanding of how the Spirit of the Lord works. One of the ways that he described the Spirit of the Lord as working was right here while Jesus was walking on this earth. And Nicodemus asked him the question. He said, uh, he said to Jesus, how can anyone do these miracles that you do unless the Lord is with him? And Jesus explained to him, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then Nicodemus said, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He was letting Nicodemus know that when I speak to you of the Spirit, I'm not talking to you about something that you can put in a box. Something that you can contain with your thinking. I'm talking to you about something that moves without your permission. That moves without your regulation. That moves without your instruction. And so he explained to Nicodemus that the wind blows where it lists. And you can hear the sound thereof. But you can't tell where it's coming from. And you can't tell where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And so God actually, very literally, put the wind in our world. So that we could understand the way that the Spirit of the Lord operates. The Spirit of the Lord operates like the wind. This is very interesting when you consider that after the fall of man, Satan became known as the prince of the power of the air. So there is a power of the air. Now, we have seen that power at work. In fact, frequencies, 
waves, radio waves, air waves. It's amazing what kind of impact the air can have on the whole world when you consider how, how news outlets and media, medium, uh, for, mediums for information have capitalized on the airwaves. It gives a whole new meaning to the prince of the power of the air. And if you didn't know that the devil has control of the media, you better believe the devil has control of the media. But I'm glad that even though he may be the prince of the power of the air, in the middle of, of the air that you and I breathe, there is a holy wind from heaven that is in operation. Now we see the word of God describe the spirit of the Lord as wind in Jesus' words to Nicodemus. We also see this in the second chapter of the book of Acts when the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord. They were all in one place. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. The wind of God the invisible force of God. You can't see it, but you know it's there. You can't necessarily reach out with your hand and grab it and put it in your pocket, but you can feel its effect. And the wind has a dramatic effect upon our world. If you've ever been through a hurricane or through a tornado, you know the power of the wind. If you've ever been through a wind storm of any measure, you know the power of wind. I want you to know that this is the way the Spirit of the Lord works. There is a power of the Spirit that if you let it be unleashed, will do things in your life, in your family's lives, in your mind, in the minds of those you're praying for and that you love that nothing else can do. But it is important that we quench not the Spirit. Amen. And so when we, when we look at this, this matter of, of the Spirit in the same chapter, Acts chapter 2, not only is it referenced as being wind, but it is referenced as being fire. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, not only was there a sound of a mighty rushing wind, but in that same in that same chapter, the Bible says there were cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. The Spirit of the Lord gave utterance to their, the languages that they were speaking. Now, now, these tongues that they were speaking, this was not somebody else's tongue. This was their tongue. And the Holy Ghost didn't come down and just, you know, wag it for them. But the Holy Ghost gave them utterance as they spoke in other tongues. So it is the human tongue that is yielded to the power of the Spirit. And if you will continue to let your tongue be yielded to the power of the Spirit, your whole body will be in subjection to the will of God. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what James wrote in his epistle. James said it this way. 
No man can tame the tongue. No man can tame the tongue. Now, you've learned that. You've learned that when, when you tried your best to hold your peace and let the Lord fight your battle. And you were, you were on your very best behavior, but they know how to push your buttons. And they know how to pull your triggers. And so while you were trying to be good, trying to be behaved, all of a sudden you let loose the tongue and uh, sliced and diced and, and then tried to make nice. And it doesn't always work out that way. But if you'll yield your tongue to the Lord, and the, and the ultimate yielding of your tongue to the Lord is when you let him come into you, filling you with his spirit and letting him give your tongue the utterance of praise back to him. See, we can praise the Lord. We can praise the Lord with our own English language. Whatever your native language may be, you can praise the Lord. You can just right here say, God, you are great and greatly to be praised. I love you and I worship your holy name. And, and you can feel the moving of the Spirit just as you do that because the Lord inhabits those praises. So the more that you praise Him, the more that you feel Him. I love you, Lord, and I praise you and I worship you. You are great and greatly to be praised. You are awesome in this place, mighty God. I worship you and I lift you up. You are the most high God. You are worthy of all my praise. That's worship. That's praise. But, but the truth is, God is greater than anything you could ever say about him. So you might call him awesome, but he's more awesome than awesome. You might call him wonderful, but he's more wonderful than wonderful. You might call him magnificent, but he's more magnificent than the magnificent that you're describing. So when we speak with other tongues, what is happening is that the Spirit of the Lord, we have completely yielded to Him. We don't know how to praise Him as He deserves to be praised. And so when we are completely yielded to Him, the Holy Ghost comes into us and, and praises the Lord through our tongue. And so I have praised God in ways I don't even understand. I don't even know what I've said. All I know is that his presence is a fire and it's a flame about me. All I know is I can feel the wind of his presence blowing against my face and against my person. I can feel the, as the songwriter said, the brush of angels' wings. It's a reference to wind. I can sense it as I worship God in an unknown language because I am not quenching the Spirit, but instead I am yielded to the Spirit. If you'll remain yielded in your tongue to the Lord, then your body will come into subjection. The James, James, the apostle, James explained to us that it is like the bit in the horse's mouth. That the bit is small, but it controls the whole body of the horse. Your tongue is a small member, but by itself it is a fire. It is, sets on fire the course of nature, and it is a world of iniquity. It will cause so much trouble, and most of the trouble you have in your life has come from the tongue that has been so unwieldy. But when it's yielded unto the Lord, then you are, your whole body comes into subjection. Hallelujah. If your tongue is yielded in praise to the Lord, then your body comes into order 
and you begin to live for the Lord and walk in the Spirit. Resist the temptation to speak the lies of the enemy that you might even be close to believing. See, the enemy will speak to you and tell you that you are worthless, that you're a loser, that yours is a lost cause, that you have messed up too bad already. There's no hope for your circumstances. There's no way this can get any better. And if you're not careful, you just think you're thinking those thoughts. Those aren't original with you. That's the enemy of your soul telling you those things. But you don't listen to the enemy of your soul. You listen to the Spirit of the Lord. Don't quench the Spirit of the Lord. Let the Lord speak to you what is the truth. And if you let Him speak to you what is the truth, you'll believe what He is saying and you will speak His word. And His words are life and spirit. And you speak his words, and all of a sudden it changes what you believe, and it changes the dynamic of your whole circumstance. Now all of a sudden, you are going to make it. And you're forgiven. And you have hope. And you have a good future in front of you. And your best days are yet ahead. And God is great and greatly to be praised. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. I am persuaded that nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of God. All of a sudden, I am speaking new words. And this is what the Bible refers to as new tongues. Now, we don't just speak in other tongues. That's the ones we don't understand. But now we speak in new tongues. These are words we do understand. We just never spoke them until the Spirit of the Lord began to lead our life. So now I speak with new tongues. My old tongues were, I'm an idiot, I'm a loser, I'm worth nothing. God can't do nothing with me. He can do stuff with other people, but he can't do anything with me. That's my old tongues. My new tongues say something completely different. New tongues say, my God is alive and he's alive in me and he operates through me the work of the Holy Ghost and everything is going to be all right why don't you look at somebody right now tell them that everything is going to be all right look at your other neighbor and tell them everything is going to be all right Come on, look behind you and tell the person behind you, everything is going to be all right. These are new tongues. These are new tongues. These are new tongues. <laughs> Hallelujah. This comes from God. This comes from the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. And we let our tongue be yielded to the Spirit of the Lord. So in the Gospel according to John, we read, where Jesus makes another comparison. John chapter 4, Jesus makes another comparison. And he speaks, in, he speaks in terms of how that the word of God is in us. In verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto the woman at the well, Whosoever drinketh of this water, this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. 
So when he said that, that if you drink of my water, you'll never thirst, he didn't mean that you'll never need to take another drink. That's not what he was saying. He was saying you won't have to go to the old wells that you used to go to. Because it's going to be in you. See, when you used to get thirsty before you came to Jesus, you, you knew where the corner tavern was. And that was, your, that was your well. And you'd go to the well and you'd try to quench your thirst at that well. But when you came to Jesus, you don't need to go down to the corner, nothing. Because the well that you need is in you. See, 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 before you would go to a well that could not provide the satisfaction your soul needed. But the way of the Spirit is that it will be in you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So don't quench the well springing up into everlasting life. Sometimes we live for the Lord. And if we live for him long enough, we start to fall into old bad habits. We start becoming fleshly. One of the chiefest ways that a person can quench the spirit is by adopting fleshly habits and fleshly ways of doing things. Always question whether what you are doing is the work of your flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? Always question that. You can try to do things for God and those things be done as works of the flesh. This is how people get hurt in the church. And you know people do get hurt in the church. I mean, God forbid, but people get hurt in the church. And we need to be sensitive to that and make sure that none of those offenses ever come through us. Because they can. Not because we're mean people, not because we're bad people, but because we are people people. And we can allow offenses to come through us if we are quenching the spirit and giving life to the flesh. If somebody comes at me, if I react in a fleshly fashion... I can, I can know, I can absolutely know that I will be offensive to that person. And, 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 they, and, and while they should not be offended because we don't need to allow offense to have place in our life, Jesus said, woe be to those who are offended and woe be to those who do the offending. And so the way that we quench the Spirit is we give life to the flesh. This is the way the flesh needs to operate in conjunction to the Spirit. First of all, you've got to remember that your flesh is against you. Your flesh is a double agent. Your flesh is not your friend. Your flesh, your gut instinct, if you're carnal, do not trust your gut instinct. Now, if you're walking in the Holy Ghost, go ahead and trust your gut instinct. But if you're not walking in the Holy Ghost and you're carnal and you're fleshly and you're not praying and you're not immersed in the Word and you're not having that sweet hour of prayer and you're not tucked away in a secret place beholding His face, finding new power to run in this race, you don't need to trust nothing about your feelings. Pardon the grammar. You need to trust the Lord when you know you can't be trusted Trust the Lord and give him rulership over your thoughts, over your feelings, over your reactions. So we look at the life of Moses 
who's standing at the Red Sea, and he needs a miracle. And he's in a bind. I mean, he has just experienced some amazing things in his ministry, but he's in a bind. They, they, they have come out of Egypt. That's great. They've come out of Egypt, but now they're standing at the Red Sea, and they have Pharaoh and his army behind them, and the, and the Hebrews are looking at Moses, and they're actually saying, great, Moses. Great job. You brought us out here to, to do what? To die. They said, is it because they didn't have graves in Egypt? Is that what it was? You just didn't like the way they disposed of the, of the, of the carcasses? So you brought us out here? Is that the way this all ends? And Moses is trying to say, no, no, guys, seriously. The Lord is with us. And, oh, I can see he's really with us. Red Sea in front of us. Egyptian army behind us. Mountains on either side. What is Moses going to do? Resign? I quit. Somebody else come take it. <laughs> That's not a good game plan, Moses. What is he going to do? Go, well, Egypt, you got us. We're just going to go on back with you now. We're going to go back into the world where we came from. Neither one of those are solutions. The only solution is, God, you've got to move on these circumstances. And so what do we do with our flesh? Well, we don't, we don't get anxiety. We don't start worrying ourselves to death. We don't start quitting and backsliding. We don't start throwing in the towel. None of that stuff. That's what our flesh would do. Here's what we do with our flesh. Stand still. Stop moving. Stop moving. Because the more your flesh moves, the less the spirit can move. Now, it's unnatural, isn't it, to stand still? Because when you got something needs to be done, everything in you says, reach out and strangle somebody. Or, 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 or just start building a boat and get out on the water and, you know, what your flesh. Here's what you have to know about your flesh. Your flesh doesn't have the answers. You need the Spirit of the Lord to move upon these waters the way the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the waters in Genesis 1-2. Move, O Holy Ghost, upon the face of this deep. Move, O Holy Ghost, upon this matter. I'm teaching to people tonight who are facing circumstances that you have run out of solutions and you need to stand still so that the Spirit of the Lord can move. Now, when God says stand still, that is not God saying nothing's going to happen. That's him saying, you need to stop moving so that I can move with all my might and with all my power. So stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. How many have lived for God long enough to know that when you're standing still, God is on the move? How many have lived for God long enough to know if I'll just hold my peace, the Lord will fight my battle. If I will stand still, the Spirit of the Lord will do something I didn't know was possible. Yeah. Glory to God. I wonder what Moses thought would happen. He said, I don't know what. I just know he will. So I don't know if he thought that all of a sudden the Lord was going to like dig a tunnel down into the ground and underneath the Red Sea and up on the other side and everybody's going to climb down through there. Or if he thought, you know, Noah's ark was going to appear like Moses and Elijah did on the Mount of Transfiguration and everybody's going to get on the ark 
and go across. Or maybe they'd all be translated like Enoch had been translated and taken to the other side. And then when God did what God did, where he just reached down and pulled the waters apart, Moses was probably, oh, that's a good idea too. I didn't see that coming. There's a variety of ways that God can do this, and none of them make sense to your flesh. But won't he do it? Won't he do it? Ah. Glory, hallelujah. <laughs> Glory, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I can feel the breeze, the heavenly breezes blowing in this place right now. I feel faith rising. I feel faith rising. I feel faith rising in this place. Hallelujah. 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 And so, and so John chapter 4, we stay there and we go down further into this conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. In verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. This is him going back to, you don't have to go to the wells you used to go to. And now he's speaking of a religious experience. You don't actually have to go to these religious mountains here or even in Jerusalem. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and the hour now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now these, this word spirit just keeps popping up all over the Bible. Spirit, 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 spirit. It means breath. It means breath. That, that's why when you stop breathing... The Bible describes it as the spirit going out of a man. If you've ever seen somebody pass away, they, they many times, depending on the circumstances, but if they're in a position where they actually are, are, are fading out and falling asleep, so to speak, where you, they actually breathe, before they breathe their last breath, they, their body naturally tries to hold on to that breath. And there's this, there's this battle between their body and the world of the invisible. And, and it's, 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 almost a, it's almost a grasping. I, 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 their body just naturally is trying to survive. It was built to live. And they're trying to stay alive on this earth. But when the breath leaves their body, the spirit has gone out of a man. This is why when Jesus took his last breath, the Bible described it as him giving up the ghost. His breath was now gone, and he gave up the ghost. The spirit is breath. And so when the spirit of the Lord moves, it is the breath of God moving. Now you look back at the days of creation, and you see... The Lord, the Spirit of the Lord moving upon the face of the waters. And then we see when he created man that he breathed into man his nostrils, the breath of life. And man became a living soul. 
So we see God breathe into man, and we see the Spirit of the Lord move upon the face of the waters. And we think that that's the only time God breathed in the days of creation. But that's not true. God breathed upon everything he created. Everything he created. The Spirit of the Lord moved upon it. Because the Word of the Lord created it. And in the Word of God is the breath of God. In the Word of God is the Spirit of God. So this is why, this is why the Bible says His words are spirit and they are life. Because that's the effect the Word has. It comes out in the form of spirit. And when it does, it brings life. So, so this give you an example. When he said, let there be light, that was word. But it was also spirit because it was breath. So put, just put your hand in front of your mouth real quick. Just real quick. We'll get this over with fast. And just say, let there be light. How many felt the, 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 the spirit on your hand? You felt breath on your hand. Let there be light. Let the fish multiply. Let the fowl multiply. The, the, the breath of God wrapped itself around every word that God spoke. So the worlds were framed by the word of God. But the spirit of the Lord moved upon everything that he created. That's what brought it all to life. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. So when we speak the word of God into our lives, we're not just, this isn't some superstition, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't some, some little uh, chant that we try to do, some little abracadabra, hocus pocus, magical formula that we're trying to recite and hope, hope it comes true, hope it comes true. No, no, this is life. This is where the life comes from. And this is where life originates. So when we speak the word of God into our mind, then we are bringing life into our mind. When we speak the word of God into this church body, then we are breathing life into this church body. When we speak life into our homes and into our marriages and into our finances, come on somebody, we are breathing life into those things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't ever, don't ever be afraid to declare the word of God. Oh, hallelujah. Declare the word of God. Speak it. Say it. This is why God told them in Deuteronomy, he said, tell your children, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and him only shall you serve. You shall love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Talk about, he said, talk about it when you go to bed. He said, talk about it when you rise up. He said, when you're sitting in the chair in the living room. Put the remote, put the remote control in the fireplace. And speak the word of God. Speak the word of life. Hallelujah. Come on, talk. You know what he told him to say? He said, talk about blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply you. And I'll multiply your seed as the stars in the heavens and as the sands of the seashore. Come on, rehearse the promises of God. Rehearse the promises of God. Rehearse the promises of God. I told you before how that my mother would do that growing up, and we've done that with our children 
she would, she would strategically place the Word of God. Everywhere we went. <laughs> we didn't know what she was doing. Now we do. But we'd just be brushing our teeth. And we look up in the corner of the, of the bathroom and it would say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We'd be eating breakfast and we'd, we'd, be, we'd be trying to get the breakfast in before school started and we'd just kind of randomly look up and I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. The word of God was just being poured into us. We'd be walking out the door and before we could go out and say, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When we were little kids, that's how she put us to sleep. She would turn on the, the cassette tapes of the word of God and we'd fall asleep to the prophet Isaiah and we'd fall asleep to the prophet Joel and we'd fall asleep to the Psalms and the Proverbs and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because she was breathing life, 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 life. His spirit, his word is spirit and life. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Stop putting so much confidence in the latest blog and get in the Bible. With, with, with the internet today, social media, there is endless amounts of advice from every which direction. And who knows who said what, where it originated. What philosophy sparked the concept. Who knows? And some of it's really good. Some of it's really good. But I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Everything better line up with this word. Everything better line up with this word. You know what I don't want? I don't want a philosophy that has been born out of a human understanding of a spiritual condition informing me not when i have not when i have the well in me as living water springing up into everlasting life not 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 when he'll write his words on my heart glory to god and you know when you holy ghost filled you know when you, when you see something somebody said, and, and, and when, when it comes to you, you think, something about that doesn't ring true with me. Something about that doesn't resonate. Or the opposite. Now, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Because you know the word, and it, and it corresponds with the word. So you got to be careful. One of the ways to quench the spirit is to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Stand in the way of sinners. Sit in the seat of the scornful. And it's, per, it's, it's digressive, if you please. It, it, it happens slowly. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You, how it starts, you're just walking along. Minding your own business. Just merrily walking along in the counsel of the ungodly. Everything going good. You start listening to the counsel of the ungodly. And all of a sudden, you stop walking. And now you're standing. In the way of sinners. And if you stand there long enough, before long, you will be sitting, feet propped up, laid on back, relaxing, chilling, in the seat of the scornful. All because you began walking in the counsel of the ungodly. And so, this quenches the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is to 
operate in your life. The work of the Spirit is to move deeply in you. It is to do things you are incapable of doing on your own. The word, the word of the Lord teaches us about the Holy Ghost. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Notice what the Word says. Verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. Have you ever cast bread on water? It doesn't last but a few minutes let alone many days. Give a portion to seven, also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. Talking about natural things. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. Talking about natural things. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whether thou shalt, whether shalt prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. You don't know what is the way of the Spirit. Just sow the seed. Sow the seed. Just as you don't know how the bones do grow in the womb, you don't know the way of the Holy Ghost. You don't know how God is working it. You don't know how God is going to make it happen. But He's going to make it happen. Don't quench the Holy Ghost. One of the ways to quench the Holy Ghost fleshly ways leaning upon fleshly thoughts fleshly actions another way to quench the work of the holy ghost is is to allow yourself to walk in the counsel of the ungodly stand in the way of sinners sit in the seat of the scornful finally the way that people quench the holy ghost is through unbelief unbelief Jesus could do no mighty works in certain places because of their unbelief. That means, ladies and gentlemen, that if Jesus were to walk into this building, and he is here, but if he were to walk into this building in the flesh, he would be incapable to perform any miracles if there is unbelief. Belief is what allows the Spirit of the Lord to move like water, to move like fire, to move like wind. Belief allows the Spirit of the Lord to operate in all circumstances of our life. Belief. Jairus said it this way when he asked the Lord, my daughter is sick and she needs healing. Jesus said, I will come. And Jairus said, but he said, he asked him if he believed. And Jairus said, Lord, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. You know what I love about that? Is that Jairus knew what the right answer was. Even when he knew there was a lot of unbelief in him. 
So even if you've got a lot of unbelief in you, your answer is always, Lord, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. You hear what I'm saying? So, so there's problems at home. The answer is always, Lord, I believe. I've got problems with my kids. The answer is always, Lord, I believe. There's symptoms in my body that are raging out of control. The answer is always, Lord, I believe. Hallelujah. There are problems in our nation right now. Problems in our nation. Such division and such, such challenges that I'm going to tell you something. The world is becoming ripe for the Antichrist because they're so desperate for peace. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. How many are ready for Jesus to come back? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The people of this planet are in pain, and they need a Savior. They need a Savior. Lord, I believe. And our lives are like microcosms of what is going on in this world. You've got challenges in your own life, problems in your own life, and you need the Spirit of the Lord to move upon those circumstances. If you'll allow the Spirit of the Lord to move upon those circumstances by removing unbelief, by removing your fleshly reaction to things, and by staying true to the Word of God, ladies and gentlemen, the Spirit of the Lord will do something that you never dreamed was possible. You might have expectation, and expectation is so important. From Acts chapter 3, we read that the lame man at the gate called Beautiful looked upon Peter and John and expected to receive something from them. That expectation set the stage for a miracle to be done. Now, he probably thought it was a few coins, maybe some kind of a meal ticket someplace, but he expected nonetheless. Now, God will exceed your expectations, but you need to expect something. Don't expect nothing to happen. Know that God will do what he said he would do. Know that God will come through, hallelujah, with his mighty power. Now, he may not come when you want him, but he's always right on time. You may not like the way that he is going about it, but when it's all said and done, he will have done the perfect work. Let patience have her perfect work. That you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to a close. But isn't that the way we do it? Don't we try to take things on our own and maybe even our prayers reflect God I need you to do such and such Lord I need you to take care of this that and the other Lord I, I, I'm coming to you now in the name of Jesus I need you to move upon this situation and God is hearing your prayer and he's going to answer your prayer but he's not just going to take care of this that and the other he's going to do it all He's not just going to take care of what you asked him to take care of. He's going to deal with the whole matter. And he's going to take all the loose ends. Loose ends you don't even know about. 
the frayed edges of your life and mind. And he's going to tie it all together. And patience will have her perfect work. And when it's said and done, you will have been preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Don't quench the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost wants to work in your life. The Holy Ghost wants to move upon your circumstances. The Holy Ghost, hallelujah, will move upon this matter. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody lift up your hands with me and praise Him. Come on, that's it. Let's lift up our hands unto the Lord and praise Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. I want somebody who's got something right now that you need God to move upon completely and wholly and thoroughly. Let him do it right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, you've got a prayer request. You've got a need in your life. Let's give it to God right now. Let's all across this building, let's just give it to God right now. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, I trust that when you get done, it's going to be all right. I trust that when you get done, it's going to be all right. Woo! Hallelujah. 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 I'm telling you that God, he's not just going to bring healing. He's going to bring healing and salvation. He's not just going to bring healing and salvation, but he's going to bring healing and salvation and deliverance. Hallelujah. He's not just going to bring physical healing, but emotional healing and mental healing and spiritual healing. He's going to do the perfect work. He's going to do the perfect work. This is what the Spirit of the Lord does. This is what the Spirit of the Lord does. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. When the Lord spoke in His Word, when He spoke His Word, even the way a word is constructed, think about it. You have the consonants. The consonants are like the structure of the word. The structure of the word. Then you have the vowels that give the word flexibility. The vowels don't have hardly any, they have hardly any structure to them. They're they're more or less breath noises. Ah, ah, a, e, eh. I, e, o, a, u. That's the way the spirit works. It's just, you know, the consonants, it takes teeth, tongue, back of the mouth, front of the mouth, lips, takes the whole, it's, it's a structured thing. But the word isn't just structure. It's not just doctrine. It's not just, it's not just something that you can hold with your hand. It's not just tangible, but there's this intangible. There's this nuanced thing that you can't figure out. You don't know the way of the Spirit. You don't know whence it's, whence it cometh and whither it goeth. It's this, it's this breath. Hallelujah. Breath. The breath of God, hallelujah, is going to move upon your circumstances right now. We're going to sing and praise the Lord right now. And I want people all across this building to stand to your feet, lift your hands and your voices, and say, God, I need you to move upon my circumstances right now. Breath of God, breath of God, breath of God, move upon my circumstances right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, that's it. That's it. We're going to give it to God right now. 
Come on, we're going to give it to God right now. Yes, Lord. You'll find everything that you need. Oh, when you seek his face, he'll draw near to us. 